Greetings, programs, and welcome to the Christmas episode of the Awesome Friday podcast for 2023. My name is Matthew, and joining me uh, on this holiday occasion is Simon. Say hello, Simon. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Hello, ho, ho. Hi, everyone. That was my yes. central impression. Yeah, joining <laughs> you for as a special one of Christmas episode. Um, yeah. Wherever you are, I hope you have done more Christmas shopping than I have, which is zero. Actually, I've got a few bits thanks to Amazon. Thanks to Honest Jeff's online emporium. I've got a few things. But the, you know, the, the difficulty the, this year is... I was going to say, for the first time, I am actually finished Christmas shopping. Oh, yeah. It is, oh it is December 17th, and I am... I can't tell if I'm ashamed or completely unashamed to admit that this is the earliest I have been 100% complete ever. Uh, I usually, usually, my usually I'm food. usually I'm like right down to like the 23rd. Um, but yeah, I am. I have purchased gifts for all of the people who need to have gifts purchased for them at this point in my life. It's great. Uh, I'm very jealous. I'm working right up until the Friday of next week, uh, and then it's suddenly Christmas. So I, I hope that I can. Oh, we've got you over a week yesterday as well. You and your fine wife are coming over for best family Christmas. Indeed. So um, looking forward to that as well. Um, so yeah, I need to I need to hit Jeff up and have some have some things sent to me quickly. <laughs> I think. Yeah, that's actually one of the uh, things that helps. Like I, I hate having to patronize. Uncle Jeff's online online shop, mm -hmm. but uh, mm -hmm. my sister lives away, and I'm sure you can appreciate yeah. this as your family lives in a different country. But like, it's so much easier to like to just buy a thing and pay the like four dollars to have it gift wrapped and have it show up at their door mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. literally any other way. Um, although my dad insists on like personally shopping and wrapping and then mailing gifts, uh, but the downside is that the gifts are often late. So yeah, Canada Post, man. We, my first year I moved to um, Vancouver, so 2007, Christmas 2007, I went and bought physical gifts for everyone. And the amount I paid for postage was double the total amount I paid for all the gifts. And um, some of them didn't ever arrive. My parents have sworn never to use postage now because so much goes missing. Canada Post is, is not the most reliable of postal services. As I think this is an entirely different podcast, but the reason for that is that the government doesn't fund the system, and I hate it. I hate right. the like, I hate the capitalist swing that we insist that our government agencies need to not just break even but make money, um, mm. because that's not what. Like honestly, they should fund the shit out of things like Canada Post because we need things mm -hmm. to get reliably from point A to point B yeah. just for the economy's sake. And also to keep the costs down. Like it needs to be affordable yeah. for people to send things. The 5,000 miles it is from Vancouver to St. John. Um, and uh, I think I think that looking at these services with a profit motive is yeah. a mistake. It doesn't make any sense me, at all. It makes, it makes me a bit of a communist, but like <laughs> yeah, we need to, we need to like look at things like, and the same thing with like healthcare, like, the mm -hmm. healthcare in this country is a mess and it is it is underfunded and everyone blames the federal government but it is actually a provincial responsibility mm. and the reason and like it's so frustrating to watch people just like blame the liberal federal government 
whilst it's the conservative premiers that are fucking up the system. I hate it so mm-hmm. much. And this is a different podcast than it should be. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, if you want your day, if you want your dose of Canadian politics, maybe I should start a different show. Um, the, the whole idea of a postal company needing to show exponential growth and profit is kind of lunacy really. And, and for have the whole funding based on that proviso is lunacy and, and it extends to everything you're saying as well. So America's going to do a similar thing. It's often just like, the answer is always just fund the system. Like it's just, that's it. Just fund the system. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's the answer to so many of our problems. And then you have, you know, provinces like Ontario, where my sister lives, complaining about budget short. Like they can't afford to pay for one thing whilst having $20 billion, like just sitting there not doing mm-hmm. anything. Like they, they mm-hmm. can fund the system. They just choose not to. Mm-hmm. And it's very yeah. frustrating. And it's not in keeping with the spirit of Christmas. See, I've brought us back on point. Um... <laughs> nice. Nicely done. That's why you're a pro. <laughs> I got okay, let's let's move on from the politics sorts because I have exciting news. In our oh. um, in our bonus round episode, which you can listen if you're a Patreon patron, which I suggest you do, it's two dollars a month, and you get all of our extra ramblings every week. Uh, we talked about Jack Reacher being a perfect dad action movie, and I've got exciting news because I finally watched the peak of dad movies that's been on my watch list for decades. I think now, which is Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World, after. Yep. Ever since I've known you, you've told me to watch this movie and it's taken some time and I've owned it for a long time and I've never found the right time to watch it. Partly, I will admit, partly I was really worried that I would hate it because I don't like, <laughs> I don't like boat movies. I'm, I'm hot and cold on Russell Crowe. I don't tend to like naval dramas. When I was growing up, they, uh, they'd often be, BBC loves naval dramas, never interested in any of them. And so I was... I had some trepidation because I didn't. It's like the cat's in the box. <laughs> like I neither love nor hate this movie until I watch the movie. Um, well, you, turns you love out, and hate it. You love and hate it until you observe it. Yes, that would be I, more. I, way I knew, it, but... I knew I was safe about ten minutes in. This fucking movie opens with just casually the best boat fight scene I've ever seen in my life. Okay, first and off, it's... let me just let me just say it's a ship. Sir, uh, oh, <laughs> not, boat, not a boat. Uh, boats and ships are not interchangeable. No, you're British. Oh, you should understand yeah, this. Oh my God, why? Next thing, next thing, you're going to tell me you don't know the difference between a man of war and a sloop. You son <laughs> of a bitch. Um, but let me just also, and this is a, a radio show, so let me just, uh, I'm just going to tell you that I'm leaning right into the microphone just for this special <laughs> moment where I get to say, I fucking told you so. I told you so so many times. You should do. Uh, you should do like literatica, uh, like uh, storytelling with that voice close to the camera microphone. I'm sure, there's ladies listening right now who would agree with me. How about that, ladies? Um, I'm pretty sure you, there you, is you, there is lady listening. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but two white dudes with a movie podcast. There's at but, least there's, there's certainly one. There's got to be one. <laughs> sure, I'm sure that one person would love to hear you read. Um, things into the microphone so it turns out peter weir is a great director but i what i also didn't know about this movie at all is that it's basically a two-hour cat and mouse story between two boats it's very similar to that star trek episode uh where um kirk does the same what a really really early 
OG series where he and a he and another ship are good like Yeah, you're talking about an episode called uh, The Balance of Terror. <laughs> yeah, where okay, he squares you. off against a Romulan warbird that is cloaked and attacking Federation outposts. Right. That's a really good episode too. And basically this is a movie uh with the same thing and it's fun fantastic it's so good and it just opens it goes straight into it and it's so well written and acted you you get to learn who people are like it doesn't feel rushed it doesn't feel like it's missing any context because you learn it as they go on russell crowe is spectacular in this film mm-hmm. and then the then <laughs> but i texted you 10 minutes in um there's two moments where I texted you things that happened in this movie, and you reply with the next line said exactly <laughs> as the per- <laughs> exactly as the person on screen says the exact line, like the uh, what's it? Lose them in the fog, Tom. Like lose, lose yeah. them in the fog, Tom. And yeah, also put, put us in that fog, Tom. Give me, yeah. give me your poor Bettany something about the the losses in wartime or something, something. What's that? Oh, like? the, the the losses in actual battle are the easiest to bear. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly the delivery. <laughs> like, I don't know how many times you've seen this film, but I texted you, Mike, not even what the scene was, but oh my God, like as a reaction to something on screen, and you texted the next fucking line to the movie. That's yeah. impressive. Um, yeah. I think you texted uh, me about, you were like aghast at how they, uh, there's a scene in that movie where oh God. like the, the top slides come down and they have to, and it's yeah. dragging them under in a storm and they have to cut it away and there's a man out clinging oh. to it. So they're, they're knowingly sending this man to his death. And yeah, uh, yeah you, you were reacting to that. And I was like, I and, texted the first line of the next scene yes, where they're lamenting exactly. it. And, and the uh, kid, yeah. the 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 scene where the kid gets his arm amputated, that kid actor is amazing. I've taught a lot of kid actors, and it's like finding the truth in things like that is a big part of it. And he was incredible when he gets yeah. his arm cut off and the camera just is on his face. So that uh, kid... I've, oh my God, I found that unsettling. So that kid, his name is Max Perkis. And I know this because I have looked him up a number of times because he was in, basically, he was in this. He was in Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. And he played um, Octavian Caesar, who grows up to be Caesar Augustus in HBO's series Rome in the first and oh. the first first season and the first bit of the second season before they age him up with a different actor. And he is incredible in both of those things. And he just stopped acting. He's like a movie executive now. He's like a works really? in sales for a distribution company. He decided he didn't want to just done. be an actor. He's, uh, he, but he's, he's legitimately great in both of he's those He's great things. in that film. He's so great. And later on, in one of the funniest moments that I felt akin to one of the sailors on the boat, when um, when this kid is then given command during this big like operation, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he tells this one sailor to do something starboard and the sailor's like what and he's like the right the right hand side starboard's the right hand side and it's just a such a little moment that shows oh, him, like yeah, this, this whole you're film is scene where they're they're about to board another ship so they're putting armbands on and right he's like put it on your right arm and everyone's like oh and he's like your starboard arm <laughs> yeah and yeah it's, the film the film is so well written with like one of the films we're talking about is the opposite of this film in how it's written in that <laughs> it's all about character context and little bits of information. It's just a real pleasure to watch. And the audacity of this movie, I'm going to spoil the end of this movie. 
this two-hour movie, which is about a cat and mouse chase, ends with the same cat and mouse chase basically evolving to chapter two. And mm-hmm. it feels it feels satisfying. I don't know how the hell it manages that, but it feels like every character has their arc. Every character comes around, learns something, and is better for it. And it is incredible film. And where are the other films made like that now? Like, where where is that genre gone? I know it bombed horribly, which is probably the answer to to my uh, my question. Yeah, I think it certainly like didn't. It didn't financially perform as warranted. Um, yeah, it did badly. And like, it's frustrating to me that we live in a world where I think this movie made like a, it, it made like two hundred and ten million dollars or something like that, but its budget was one hundred and fifty. So mm-hmm. it's you know when you factor in this the cinema's cut and the marketing budget like that, it's a pretty big. Nobody went to see this movie, which I feel is a huge oversight because it is legitimately, I think, one of the like, it's also a shame that it came out in 2003, which means that it um, it lost all of the Oscars to Lord of the Rings, if I memory serves. Oh, um, yeah. Because Return of the King came out, came out the same year and won 11 Academy Awards. I think the only one, the only one couple at one cinematography which was one of the only ones i think that the uh lord of the rings was not nominated for um and it won sound editing which is a perfect win yes um which again lord of the rings wasn't nominated for uh and it was also i think it was nominated for yeah like it was also nominated for like sound mixing and art direction um and like a bunch, a bunch of other awards, and all of them went to Lord of the Rings. And to be fair, Lord of the Rings is fucking great. Like it's well deserved. But I feel like this is oh. like this is Billy Boyd is in this movie, who played Pippin yeah. in Lord of the Rings. And this is, I would say, as a person who adores Lord of the Rings, this is Billy Boyd's best film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays a fairly minor character. He plays like a guy who steers the boat, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But every time he's called on to actually like deliver a line, it's so perfect. Um, mm. It's such a it's such a well made film. Like there's, I I don't I don't get people who don't like it, and I'm upset that we're not like ten movies deep into the, you know, Aubrey Maturin universe of films. So, I I would be curious. Maybe you can answer this. I've obviously I have no interest in naval history or battles at all. Um, so I've never read any of these books, but I wonder if this book is representative of the kind of the feel, sorry, if this movie is representative of the feel of the book that it uses or books that it uses, I wonder if uh, I would maybe try and read them. I don't know if you read the books at all. So I actually haven't, which I know is a problem or a situation to be solved. Um, but I know there's lots of people who, there's like 20, 20 plus of them. and this movie is based on two of them. Uh, like it's a fusion of two of them. That's why it's called master and commander, the far side of the world. Cause the two books are literally called master and commander and the far side of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but lots of people love them. And I've always meant to, I just have not made time for reading. Like I, I barely made, we're in a book club together, which I know is a shock to our listeners that we do things together. 
but um, I, I, I barely make time to read the books we choose for our book club. So uh, yeah, picking another thing at the moment seems like it's something I need to find a way to make time for, I guess is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Master Commander, perfect film. I fucking told you I, so. Yeah, you did. You did indeed. And I do, uh, we... We talked about trying to... Oh, it was after we recorded. There's no 4K of it, and I feel like it really deserves a very high-quality transfer. I watched it on DVD, and it was gorgeous on DVD. So um, I wonder even if there's a Blu-ray knocking around, I, I might seek out at some point. There is. There's actually a really gorgeous... Um, there was, very briefly, and I think it was an exclusive to the the reseller Zavi. Um, but there is actually a gorgeous steelbook Blu-ray that you can only mm-hmm. find used now, um, and the the cover of it is the surprise, like coming out of the fog, uh, and it's surprise. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a perfect, a perfect film. I'm, and again, I'm very upset that we're not like ten films deep mm-hmm. into this cinematic universe. Um, because the books, as I understand it, the books start out. Um, with him taking command of a ship, and by the end, he's like retired and is now the captain of a privateer. Uh, like he's, it, it goes places. Mm-hmm. And Paul Bettany's character is like a spy for the for the crown, um, which is sort of alluded okay. to at one point in the movie. But he's like goes on spy missions for the crown. <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. I have read a bunch of Horatio Hornblower, and I actually do, admittedly, like the Ewan Griffith version. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think ITV made like eight TV movies mm-hmm. of Hornblower. Yeah, I quite like those too, but this is on a different level than all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure, makes me actually kind of want to read. Um, there's a science fiction book series that is very nakedly a science fiction adaptation of Horatio Hornblower, where the captain's name is Honor Harrington. I think. I think that's mm-hmm. it. Kind of want to seek those out and read them too, because that is basically like. Napoleonic War, but space. What, <laughs> what's the show called? It's not a show; it's a, a book series. And I, oh, okay. I, I think I, the main character's name, I believe, is Honor Harrington. Um, mm-hmm. It's another one I've kind of thought I should seek out at some point because it seems like mm-hmm. it would be directly up my street. Yeah, I think so. But anyway, we're now eighteen minutes into uh, our podcast about two movies, and we haven't even mentioned what they are yet. So we should probably do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so let's segue. Uh, we're going to be talking about two movies this week. One of them is a Netflix release, and the other one is a Melancholy Christmas Story. And we're going to talk about the, the Netflix release first. And I think I'll take you through the basic setup for Leave the World Behind, which stars uh, Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke uh, and a number of other people. And I think... This is a spoiler, but I think I'm going to take you through the basic setup because I know for a fact that Simon hated this movie. <laughs> um, oh, but the, but the, the, the basic setup is that Julie Roberts and Ethan Hawke are a married couple and they decide they need to get out of the, out of the city for a length of time, go on holiday with their two kids, one of whom is obsessed with friends, which I think is an adorable through thread. Um, and then the first or second night that they're there, 
Mahershala Ali and his daughter show up and say, this is our house. We need to come in and stay here because something's going on. And the rest of the film is the collapse of Western society with some very ham-handed messages about how, like, we are useless without our smartphones. We are useless without our entertainment. Um, it would take very a very small nudge to turn us from a functioning society into absolute chaos if done correctly. Um, and it's a movie that exists. <laughs> um, it is on yep. Netflix. It is written and adapted by Sam es- Esmail, Esmail, the guy who made Mr. Robot, a show I've never seen. And I think, I think the best sort of single phrase descriptor of this film is ham-handed. Like it is unsubtle to a point where I'm not sure that Sam Esmail knows what subtlety is. Like, you know that meme of... Uh, uh, Garth Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and there's the the meme quote of him being like, "I know other authors who use subtext, and they're all cowards." That is this movie. That is this movie. Um, I don't think it's totally unredeemable. I think that there's actually some really interesting camera work. Like the cinematographer is really like going overboard in a couple of moments in really interesting ways, and I think that despite having not much to work with, I think that Ethan Hawke does a pretty good job. And I think that Julia Roberts is giving her all again to material that's not that great. And I could listen to Mahershala Ali read the goddamn phone book. So this is all fine. It is not a great movie, though. And I don't... I don't... I don't... I'm I'm struggling to, to find anything more positive to say about it. I don't want to. I honestly don't really want to spend a lot of time on this movie because it's not worth any time. It's not the worst movie of the year because Ghosted exists exists and because Hypnotic exists on Amazon Prime, which I know you haven't seen. And spoiler, just don't don't see that one either. Like this, um, but uh, it's not good, and I don't think you should see it. There, that's that's my review. What's interesting is that we're probably going to argue as we have the only thing we've argued about this movie is determining the level to which how terrible it is like compared to ghosted mainly i think it's worse than ghosted i think it's trash like and when i say trash i mean i spent a significant portion of my life teaching film studies and the first thing we would do is is do a film project where um these college era kids would write direct act in the things and we take it as a starting point and we learn about adding literally any nuance, literally any subtlety, uh, interesting script to to uh, show character thoughts and connections without stating them outright. Um, this film is the best example of first year, first semester film studies like project. It is so amateurish on every level. The, the script is, there's literally one point where one character looks down and says, nobody understands me. Like the script is so unsubtle. The characters state exactly what they're thinking at all times. Uh, there is no depth to anything they say at all. The acting is dreadful, but I'm going to put this firmly down to Sam, whatever his name is, as the the... The directing of their performances is where I think the the problem is because Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, Marshall Ali are all great actors. 
even Kevin Bacon shows up for 10 minutes. He's great too, usually. Everyone's terrible in this film because they are laden with this stupid person's idea of a clever movie. It is so... That's a good way to put it, actually. Like, it is yeah, so stupid person. It is smart. so base level. There's some good ideas in here. All of them have, uh, handled terribly. Um, the poor. I think it's interesting what you talked about the cinematography. There's one particular scene that I actually quite like that it's is going to get the single star from me for this one scene where the cinematographer is doing his best to make it seem interesting, and the the it is so badly written and acted and directed when i talk about as i have done before the uh, feeling of the lowest common denominator netflix movie just pumping out their capital c content every week has got to be something 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 and then it gets buried Uh, ghosted was the same kind of feel as well but at least ghosted had two very attractive people trying to be charming not i'm not saying succeeding but uh, this is just first pass script directing, and it doesn't. I um, Mr. Robot is highly regarded. I've never seen it, but I am kind of shocked. I'm less that. likely. To, I've never seen it either, and I am less likely to check it out now. I mean, I have thing, no. I'm, yeah, the one thing I understand is that it is also fairly ham-handed. Right. Ham-handed is is an understatement with this film. There is no subtlety to anything anyone says or does. Characters immediately launch—they're uh, just archetypes who immediately uh, launch into their place in the narrative without any journey at all. People—if people need to hate each other eventually, they hate—they hate each other instantly because that's just the quickest way to tell the story. There's no journey. There's no arc for any of them. And just at the very, very, very end where it starts to have a message about finding, holding on to the things you love at times of great peril, just ends, just ends. And it's nowhere near as clever as it thinks it is. So it's it, interesting. It, it, I, I, I read a, um, I read like a plot synopsis. Because I watched this movie approximately a week ago. It came out on the... So this is the... We're recording this on the 17th of December. This movie came out on the 9th. Um, yeah. But not... Whatever. Friday before this past one. <laughs> and um, in recording today, I kind of like forgot big splits of it, which is a pretty big red flag, if you ask me. Um, but the plot synopsis actually implies that the ending is meant to be like a bomb going off and like killing the character who's on screen at the moment. And like, that is not indicated in the shot in question at all. Like just at all. Um, it just well, like, it cuts to, it, it, like it cuts to black. Um, it cuts to black as a character, like finally achieves a thing they've been trying to achieve through the whole movie. Um, but there's no indication. No, no, for a movie that's so unsubtle, generally speaking, there's not even the slightest indication that it's like some kind of, bomb or weapon going off that's making it cut to black it just cuts to black um which i think honestly is a way more interesting ending like having it cut to black and in in that particular without spoiling the ending having it just cut to black as this character finally like achieves this quest they've been on um and what that might say about the character and about us as a society is way more interesting than it just being a bomb going off 
Um, but it doesn't matter because, like, again, it is not indicated in that scene that there's a bomb going off. There's a bomb has just gone off uh, a few minutes earlier in a place far enough that's supposed to be far away, but it's close oh enough you can clearly see. That's a, a whole other problem. It's, oh, gosh. Um, yeah. And I sort of get the, like, you know, like, we're in the country, it's the middle of nowhere, but we're, like, 20 minutes from the city. Like, that is, it's not a totally out there thing among people who primarily live in the city um, or have never lived in the country. But I don't know. It's, I don't really so want to cool. spend very much time on this movie because it's such a, it's such a nothing, right? Like, it's, again, it's, it's more, it's less, it's less nothing than Ghosted and it's less nothing than Hypnotic, but that is, it's still nothing. I don't, I don't, ever need or want to see it again ever no and it's uh, and that's it it creates story points and then just ignores them and and there's one point i don't care that i'm spoiling this there's one point where one character loses his teeth and you can get a better analogy for this movie it's completely toothless and then he he's used as motivation to get to a certain location and then he he's he can barely move he's vomiting up blood and then he's in the car he's just fine because the movie at that point doesn't need him to be sick anymore. And it's yeah, just it al- ridiculous. It also offers no ex- explanation as to why he's no. losing his teeth and literally nobody else does. Like yeah. it doesn't make, it doesn't Nothing explore. It's almost like, I remember thinking when I, I do remember thinking when we first watched it, that I was like, so like, I feel like if this was a Netflix series, that would have been the end of episode two, like where the mm-hmm. movie ends would have been the end of episode two. And mm-hmm. it would have been one of those Netflix series that we think is pretty okay because there's some good episodes, but it's way like it way overstays its welcome. Uh, like it's just too long. It doesn't take doesn't get to its points fast enough. But instead, it's a two hour movie that ends just as things might be getting interesting. And I, yeah, I don't know. I have seen too many good movies this year. And I've seen some standouts uh, for to give a free pass to anything that has been just pushed out. It's just a first pass that they've just like, oh, someone needs to, it'll create some buzz because it's got some like red pill stuff in there. Uh, he drinks blue water. What does it mean? Like, it's just bullshit. All of it. It's completely empty. It's completely vacant of any like meaning or intention. And it's just first pass thrown out. Oh, they spend our budget on Julie Roberts and Ethan Hall. And then have them, then let's have like the new people that turn up, let's have them black so we can add in this like racist undertone that isn't an undertone at all because they just state it. It's just ridiculously bad. One star. One star for when the Teslas crash and the cinematographer's like, okay, well, I've seen uh, Children of Men. We're going to try and do that as the Teslas crash around us. And that's the literally only good part of this movie. It's irredeemably terrible. And yeah, I'd be embarrassed. Teslas. I'd be embarrassed if I was involved with this on Netflix. The uh, the Tesla's crashing is a good scene for sure. Um, I will give it two stars. Uh, because I liked I liked Julia Roberts and I liked Ethan Hawke despite the material. Mm-hmm. And the Tesla's crashing. Plus, there's a couple of moments where the cinematography is very extra in a way that I enjoyed. So. I will give it. It takes a lot for me to give something only one, and this is mm-hmm. this is by far not That's the fair. worst thing I've seen this year. 
And unlike Hypnotic, it didn't waste William Fickner. So, two stars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, let's um, move on. Don't, don't watch this movie. It's not worth your time. Second film is, maybe, though? Yeah, the second film. Uh, so, actually, why don't you just take us through? Um, because I, oh, I tried to give us the basics on that one you it's your turn to give us the basic rundown on the alexander Payne paul giamatti collaboration that is the holdovers well if you like the movie the breakfast club like the movie dead poet society and uh it's somewhere in there in that venn diagram it's um paul giamatti is a teacher at a boys college in uh 1970s um new england near boston and um in massachusetts <laughs> apparently and uh it comes to christmas and um some of the boys have to stay if they don't have the possibility for going home they have to stay over in the school they are the holdovers and every year one of the teachers gets the short straw and has to basically stay with them over christmas basically just keep them alive their, their only responsibility is to make sure these kids don't die <clears throat> because this is a uh, this is a public school um, funded by very rich people and their children are there. So they're very uh, focused on keeping that flow Sorry. of income. I'm just going to interrupt long enough to say that in North American parlance, it is a private school. <laughs> oh, that's a very English thing. So this is they are very typical like public school boys that all of our politics is flooded with. It's yeah. so weird that we say public school when it is a private school. You're right. Why yeah. do we do that? Okay, sorry. It's a private school. I guess a public school would be a like a comprehensive for you, right? Anyway. Uh, yeah, like a normal high school. This oh. is like a private boarding school for right the elite, the children of the, the elite, children of the elite, and and it's Barton. I don't know if it's the same Barton as in um, uh, Pitch Perfect, but I've been spending the rest of the week trying to work out if those two are in the same universe. But that's a well, different not- podcast. It's not Entirely. spelled the same, so it can't be. Oh, damn it. Because in this movie it's in this movie it's Barton with a T and in right. Pitch Perfect it's Barden with a D. Oh really? See in American pronunciation they both sound the same, so I had no idea. Um so Paul Giamatti is a uh, a long standing teacher there that is is very traditional, very strict. He's a history teacher. And uh the teacher who's meant to look after the kids over Christmas, pretends his uh, mother's sick, so he gets out of that. And Paul Giamatti, having no one to go to, is then given the responsibility. And it's clear from the beginning that he is a bit of a... He has lots of friction with the head. Um, He doesn't really mix with the other teachers. He's quite standoffish. And in his classes, he's very, very strict indeed. Um, And it's all about achievement. It's all about study. And he he delivers... He clearly knows a lot, but he delivers it in a very dry way. So his uh, 17-year-old boy students are very uh, disengaged. Um, so the holdovers is basically these, uh, begins to be these five kids who have to stay over Christmas. And he the, the friction that ensues because he wants to keep teaching them and they very much don't want to be there. They don't want to uh, learn uh, what's meant to be stuff over their vacation. And also, like the Breakfast Club, their personalities are are so influenced by their parents as well. We learn a lot about them and how fucked up they are by their parents, by their rich upbringings, 
and not to spoil what happens, but then it kind of evolves that it, it, the focus becomes very much on Paul Giamatti and uh, Dominic Sena's character, Angus. And um, you, you know exactly what's going to happen in this movie from the very, very beginning um, in terms of, like, you've seen movies where the standoffish teacher has to look after the roguish student and they learn from each other and they become more open to each other and this is that movie it's kind of it's a christmas movie but it's a it's a misery watch in many ways but um it's very very melancholy <laughs> melancholy yes, for sure the, the the highlight here it it goes to perhaps further places when they actually leave the school it goes to perhaps a wider range of places that you perhaps were expecting but you do ex- you know how this movie is going to end and when it does end, it has a bit of a bittersweet ending, but it, it is quite satisfying. And the key here is Paul Giamatti, who is so charismatic and I'm sure so handsome and cheeky. Like if you go watch him and shoot him up and then go watch him in this. And he is so amazing in this film, at unwrapping this character slowly from his very tight standoffish character at the beginning to where it evolves in the end. And you see that charm come out. And a lot of this is down to Dominic Sessa, who's pretty much a newcomer, but he has, uh, as Angus in this, I think he does a really, really great job of portraying all these, um, the terrible things that have formed him from his his family life as well. So it's, it's a very derivative movie. You know exactly what's going to happen, but it is quite moving when it gets there, for me anyway. What's your... I know I, yeah, I, I felt moved by this because I, 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 as a teacher, like the most emotional part of being a teacher was seeing the changing your students when you actually see it in front of you. And this film moved to that part of me for sure. But how did you feel? So I, you know, lots of people are talking about this movie in very positive light because um, it did some festival runs earlier. So I know some people who've seen already seen it. And I was very much... Given the type of movie that it is, I was sort of very much expecting to like connect with it very deeply, and I didn't. And I'm, I that makes it sound like it's a failure of expectations, but I still really liked it. Like I'm still going to give it a high a high rating, just for the record. I just didn't like it. Didn't like move me to my core in a way that I kind of expected, which is a very mm-hmm. unfair thing to say about a film. I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's really well done. It's really well performed. Dominic Sessa is not just kind of a newcomer. This is his first ever credit. He went to an really? audition. He went to an audition. Um, uh, what's the story here? I read it yesterday. Um, he was discovered by casting director Susan Shopmaker, who offered Deerfield Academy students a chance to audition for the film since the film was shooting at that location. Like he's a student at the at the at the real school where they shot this movie. Really, that's amazing. Um, but my my like one line takeaway is that I hope this kid gets an amazing agent because it would mm. be a real shame if this is the only time we ever see him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of thing that can definitely happen, right? Like you find mm. someone and they make either make no choices or bad choices. I hope this kid gets like really great representation that finds him some really great roles to sink his teeth into because i think he is legitimately mm-hmm. legitimately great mm-hmm. um i think paul giamatti is also legitimately great in that reliable paul giamatti way 
Like he's never bad. Even when he's in a bad movie, he's not bad. He gives, Mm -hmm. he's such an interesting performer um, and gives his all to characters in a way that few actors I feel really do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and this being his, it's interesting to me. It's actually kind of upsetting to me that this is only his second ever collaboration with Alexander Payne after sideways, Mm -hmm. which was like Mm -hmm. 20 years ago or some something. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably not that long, but a long time ago. Um, Because I feel like that movie is so good and this movie is so good and I feel deprived of the like Scorsese-De Niro type relationship he could have had with Alexander Payne at this point, you know? I haven't seen Sideways, actually. Oh, that's a solvable problem. Um, um, For me, though, the real revelation here is Divine Randolph, who... So the boys are held over with Paul Giamatti and also Divine Randolph is there. She's the like the head of the kitchen for this private school. She stays over Christmas as well. She provides food for the boys. And she's also the mother of a son who the year before had graduated from the academy. She worked there to get him into the academy. And being not of the privileged few, he didn't get into a further university and thus went into the military and was killed so she's playing this grieving mother and i think that it's without trying to take anything away from giamatti and sessa she is so good in every scene and i know that everyone's already talking about her but if she isn't up for every award under the sun this year I will be legitimately shocked. Like I expect that some of the award shows will give Paul Giamatti a nod and he probably won't win. I legitimately think this is one of the best supporting performances I've seen all year, which is saying something when you also consider that her character is the most thinly sketched of anyone in the film. She does so much with so little like the 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 only real there's one real emotional gut punch scene she has in the middle that that ends before it can like it's still really affecting but it it's cut short in a way that I found really frustrating because I felt like yeah. it was about to get to a place a deeper place but it just cuts and I found that really frustrating and I think that that's probably I think that that probably informs how I think about the whole movie and that there's lots of scenes that get really close to being somewhere really good and really interesting and really honest and really true. And then it just sort of stops right before it gets there. And I find that a little frustrating. And that being said, it's still an amazing movie. You should definitely see it's a, it's a, it's a wonderfully melancholy uplifting bummer um, in the best way. And if the only thing we ever get out of it is that Divine Randolph wins an Oscar and Dominic Sessa becomes like an amazing character performer in all of your favorite indie films for the next 10 years, I would be very happy. Paul Giamatti will be fine. He'll land on his feet. He's an amazing actor. But I want those two in particular to be catapulted to stardom because of this film. Um, But yeah, it's great. You should definitely see it. It's available on demand. Uh, You should just, just rent it. It's a it's a wonderful, and it's it's set at Christmas, and it could not be set any other time. Yeah, like it couldn't. It just couldn't be summer vacation. You know, like it's it's very purposeful in in most of its choices, um, story wise, 
And then my other favorite thing about it, and I think this probably lifts my opinion about it, is that it is it is such it is such a they don't make them like that anymore type film that they mm. literally adopted the cinematic mm. language of the seventies, complete with mm. zooms yeah. and swipes and camera angles and techniques and film grain. Like if you watch this movie and you didn't know who anyone was and you were like, I bet this movie came out in like 1976. Mm-hmm. That would be an understandable reaction. It is mm-hmm. made to look like a movie, not just be set in 1970 and 71, but to, to look like a movie that was made in 1975. I think that's a real, a real feat. Um, <clears throat> and it, in a way that I really, yeah. I really appreciated like that level of attention to detail, not just in the, immediate direction but in the actual like mm-hmm. way they're going to present this is really mm-hmm. really great uh, but yeah so yeah, i i do i really like this film it's a it's a really great film it probably won't make my top 10 list but it is i would mm-hmm. it would almost it would certainly make my top 20 for this year mm-hmm. um so yeah it's great it's great <laughs> you should definitely see it you can, anywhere you, you can see it at home now if you can see it in a cinema, do that. But it's available at home mm-hmm. now, so just you can rent it at home. You should watch it at home. Mm-hmm. Even the uh, aspect ratio is a little tighter, and it does. One thing that really struck me is that we've talked a lot about lack of color in in films at the moment, and this film is a perfect example of how to use a muted color palette because it is stone and it's Christmas and there's snow and it's Boston, so that it's it's very icy, very snowy. And it's how to use contrast and the color palette to make m- muted colors look sensational. This film looks mm. beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And it is uh, just really, really well um, planned. Every shot is, is very, very well uh, composed and planned. Like the opening in particular, the first five minutes kind of does that very 70s thing of, of giving you a ton of credits over opening vignettes and there's lots of shadow work against the snow and mm-hmm. the buildings are lots of he uses red as an accent all the way through the movie and it's uh it's beautiful it's really beautiful and then when it does go inside there's a party later in the house it, it goes very vibrant and very warm and it's really lovely and I, it's interesting what you were saying about the scenes getting to a point and then moving on. And I think that's probably related to my criticism really is that it felt a bit long. Like I, I think they could have exactly what you're saying, maybe focus a bit more on what they had and remove a, a beat somewhere or remove a section because I did find that the characters were flip flopping a bit. Like they would learn a bit and then resort, go back a bit and learn a bit and go back a bit especially Giamatti's character. There's, there's one key moment where he kind of turns a corner and then goes back to being a bit of a grouch again and before he turns the corner again. And I feel like that could have been tightened up a bit. But um, by and large, it was it was very effective, I thought. Yeah, I get what you're saying with Giamatti's character. You're not... It's not incorrect. I sort of feel okay about that that aspect of it because it's a very human response right like i'm mm-hmm. we're learning to be better doesn't mean we've immediately learned to be better like we have to fight mm-hmm. against our nature for a while when we're making a pretty significant change like that mm-hmm. my my bigger problem is in like again in that one scene which is at the party where 
Divine Randolph's character is sort of really grappling with the loss of her son. And mm-hmm. it it gets to a point where the three main characters plus another important supporting character are in the room together and she's starting to make this like confession of her emotions and then it just stops. It just cuts and moves on to the next scene. And there's a few scenes mm-hmm. like that where mm-hmm. it stops like right before right before the truth of it was about to happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that makes it a bad film. I just think it keeps it from being a great one. Mm-hmm. Right? That's fair. So, <clears throat> yeah. How many, how many how many stars are you going with this? I can't work out where you're landing if you're three or four. It's still four. Mm-hmm. Like I say, if this was, it's not going to make my top 10 list of the year. Um, it would, but if we were doing a top 20, it would make that list. Mm-hmm. It would be, there's, there's too many other films I've adored greatly this year to for mm-hmm. this to be in my top 10 i but honestly though there's a subset of our audience who this is going to be their favorite movie and i yeah i cannot wait for if you're listening to this and you watch the holdovers and it turns out to be your favorite movie i'm so happy for you because this is exactly the kind of thing mm-hmm. that certain that a lot of people will latch on to in that way and i think you're really mm-hmm. going to like it yeah. Um, and it sounds like I'm being super negative and I'm not, I'm just like, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to explain that like, there's these few nitpicky things that keep me from thinking it's an absolute masterpiece. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's uh it is a great film and you should definitely see it. <laughs> it's, it's just not, it's not the masterpiece that it maybe could have been in my opinion, mm-hmm. which again is super unfair, but no, that's fine. Yeah. I do. I don't disagree at all with anything you're saying. I think as a as a few derivative story choices about how to use certain characters that are a bit stereotypical, but um, it is just a great showcase, a great acting showcase. And there's a few moments where Jumati, who's been this kind of he underplays himself in order to appear uncharismatic, but there's a few moments where the Jumati voice comes out, including. What's the line? Color your toes, like oh, like yeah. completely out of context, and he just lets rip with that voice that is in there all the time. Um, that's yeah. nice, and and he and I just it's a great example of how to slowly and physically and mentally unwrap this character. It's just that movie. It's one of those movies. So yeah, yeah it's full full, if, full from me as well. If this is, if you're the kind of person who tends to latch on to films about fathers and sons or father figures and sons, then mm-hmm. this movie will be for you. Like that's I think mm-hmm. what keeps it for me, what keeps it at a four rather than a three out of five is that the father son relationship, like the father mm-hmm. figure and son figure relationship between these two actors is very, <clears throat> very honest, very truthful and mm-hmm. very pure. Um mm-hmm in a way that I very, very much appreciated. And I, I can definitely see other people like me who tend to latch on to stories of fathers and sons. Like yeah. this will, this will be your favorite movie and I'm very happy for you. Uh, yeah. You should definitely see it. Yeah. 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 I don't disagree. Good. Well, shall we uh, wrap it there for Christmas? I mean, we probably should. Um, so there you have it. One movie we're not going to even name again, and then the holdovers. <laughs> there will be <clears throat> if you if you check out the homepage for this episode, which will be at theawesomefriday.ca homepage. Uh, there will be streaming links for powered by Just Watch. If you use those links to find and watch 
either of these films uh, that helps us keep the lights on here at Awesome Friday Headquarters. So please feel free to do that. The page will be linked in the show notes. Um, we are <clears throat> also, if, if you want to find us and interact with us, we're on basically all of the socials. The show is at Awesome Friday CA basically everywhere. Simon's not on the socials, but I am. You can find me at SmatthewAF most of the places. Uh, and the best way to keep up with all of us, with both of us and the show is to bookmark and follow our various homepages, which are stretched.ca for me, temporarypen.com for Simon, and awesomefriday.ca for the show. Um, if you are, uh, if you like what you heard, the best way to support us, honestly, is to tell your friends uh, and to subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and give us uh, a high review, high five-star review on your platform of choice. These are the things that get us in front of more earballs. But if you would like to uh, support us more directly, we do have a Patreon. Uh, and if you subscribe to that Patreon, you do get a bonus episode every week. This week, we talked about uh, our top Scrooges, um, our favorite uh, background jokes and a number of other things. It's always a fun time and a little more rambly uh, in a way that I think is I think is enjoyable. And you can get access to that for as little as two dollars Canadian a month, which is less than the price of a cup of coffee uh, anywhere at this point. Um, <laughs> it really is. Uh, so yeah. Um, last but certainly not least, we are here in Vancouver on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. Um, today is December 17th. Next week is Christmas. We will be off, but we'll be back on the, at the end of the year, uh, most likely with our end of year best of lists, which yes. uh, uh, I'm starting. We're starting to organize now uh, mm-hmm. and we're looking forward to that episode. But uh, in the meantime, have yourself a great holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, Jubilee Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. <laughs> Have a great one. And uh, we will see you at the end of the year. Thank you so much Merry Christmas. for joining us on this awesome Friday. Merry Christmas. We love you.